If you come to my house and you realize that in the living room there's no TV, there's no video game console, it's not that I'm more spiritually evolved than that. It's not that I'm aware of what a time suck movies and TV shows and video games are. No, the real reason is I love video games. I love the worlds and learning the controls and figuring everything out, collecting money. Yeah. And I love the characters and leveling up and all the challenges and all the things you can do. I love even exploring the worlds and I even love failing because I know I can beat this level. And I will play away a day like nobody's business. Jack's got a Nintendo Switch last year. I helped him buy it. And when he was at his mother's house, I played. I played Zelda and I did what it took. My character needs money, quick little Google search, and oh, okay, I just have to walk back and forth across this field for like an hour. And eventually some rare item will drop and I can sell it. Time well spent. But put me in a spreadsheet where I'm actually trying to figure out the finances of Hello Humans, how to keep it going, how to budget, how to pay down the credit cards, but keep enough money to make future episodes. Literally working on something I have dreamed about doing. 10 minutes feels like forever. How on earth is this supposed to compete with the sweet, inviting, warm glow of television? Where you're sucked into these perfectly crafted character arcs with highs and lows and adventuring through dangerous lands and conquering horrible evils and being transported to beautiful worlds that would never be possible. And if you haven't guessed, yes, sci-fi fantasy is totally my jam, but replace it with whatever yours is, whether rom-coms or crime dramas or whatever it is, doesn't matter. Living a productive life, even a productive creative life, involves a lot of really boring things. You have to spend a lot of time, way more time than you have available just for goofing off. And if you're like me, you've had the thought, this is crazy. Why are we working 40, 50, 60 hours a week just to make money, just to do fun things on the weekend, just to do it all over again next week, 40, 50 hours. And the fun things generally, the fun things we like to do, it's not by accident. BMW knows how much you love to press that throttle and hear that sweet baby purr. So much so that new models are pumping that sound through the speakers. It's not even the real engine sound. Las Vegas has found a way to make pulling a lever and watching some numbers turn completely out of your control super fun and rewarding so fun and rewarding when i actually go to sleep in las vegas i can still hear the sound of winning even though i put twenty dollars in and eventually lost it all but they let me win just enough along the way to keep it going and this is all carefully designed with science and yeah one of the benefits of being a large corporation with a lot of money to spend on a new project is you get to hire people who know how to make it fun even addicting. And let's say you are a giant corporation about to sink a bunch of money into a new game that you need people to come back to and enjoy and want to keep playing. You're going to hire top game researcher and developer, the person who developed the first iPhone game, who has inspired developers like The Sims, Star Wars, and Myst, Nicole Lazaro. And that also happens to be the same person that we've recruited to make our lives a little more fun, a little more playful with novelties and challenges and the same 
triggers, the same feedbacks that make playing video games so much fun. Nicole has actually been focused on this and using her powers for good for a long time. One of her games planted 16,000 trees in Madagascar in the real world. And she's been focusing for a long time on what's now become a hot topic, gamification, which basically means trying to make things more playful. If you've been following the build-out of Square One Studio, the new home of Hello Humans, and you've noticed the floor-to-ceiling corkboard, all the toys, all the gadgets, all the fun things to interact with, that's a direct result of me not only having the conversation with Nicole, but seeing how she works in her own life. And it's working. On the days I don't have jacks, I find myself looking up at the clock and realizing it's 9 p.m. It's just more fun to be there and to be working. And let me tell you, when Jax gets off of school and meets me at the office, he has a lot more fun too. Nobody is going to design your life to be more fun besides you. So game on. Hey. Hey. Nicole, thanks for inviting us to your office. And I'd just like to jump right in and start this way. It can be as big or as small of a question as you would like. Okay. That sounds great. Who are you? I'm Nicole Lazaro. And I'm a game developer and uh, run Zeo Design for the past uh, 26 odd years. I measure emotion on people's faces while they play. And I'm creating um, a bunch of games for, yeah, really to change, change the world. I'm really interested on how games unlock human potential, you know, through, through play. And what is it about the play experience that can make things, make things fun, make things really fun. I know you're probably used to the idea of gamification. It's a really new concept for me. And watching your presentation on your ideas about fun, about the various types of fun, especially when it relates to game design, was so applicable for me to think about ways it could apply to my life. And so this interview might be a little different because I feel like I'm, I'm a little bit more desperate for knowledge as opposed to biographical. But I loved the way you took the time to not, I mean, you hear a lot of people talk about what makes, like what fun is, but to hear your approach, which felt really scientific and really measured, gave me hope for making my life more fun in the real space, in the real world. Do you mind jumping into your your outline of fun of the the four types of fun you've you've kind of outlined yeah sure absolutely i think that part of my motivation is i'm you know super passionate about making improving quality of life and a big part of that is like how we feel inside for a number of years we've been looking at play in a very in very deep way so essentially what i did uh you know over a decade ago 2000 to 2004 is i actually watched people play computer games uh homeschool and work young and old and i measured the emotions they had on their faces you know while they played so what were their favorite things whether it was call of duty or um bejeweled or tetris or you know world of warcraft and what we know we know some really interesting things when we looked at emotion and gameplay in that uh, that the people's favorite play experiences, so the things that they great games are discretionary, they're volunteer, you know, they're volunteers. Nobody's paying you to play a game for the most part. So what was fascinating to me about games as a format is that you, you know, it was like first, you know, what was what were the emotions that were involved? And you know, first there's the curiosity that you know pulls you in, right? It's the hook that pulls you in. It's the, you know, I want to drive the racetrack backwards. I want to explore. I want to. It's sort of the bubble wrap of game design. And uh, it's something we call easy fun. 
So it's exploration, role play, curiosity, curiosity, wonder, and surprise, you know, coming from creativity and, uh, and the sense of exploration. It's uh, the bubble wrap of game design. It's also like just dribbling a basketball is fun just to do it, you just, do, just the joy of controls. Then what we noticed with best-selling games is that uh, after a while, that wasn't quite enough to hold players' attention. They had to move on to something slightly more structured. And so that's where hard fun comes in and a new set of emotions. Uh, the feeling of frustration leading to like the holy grail of game design in a sense, the, the, you know, the pinnacle emotion for games, which is the feeling of winning. Like, yes, I just you know, got the boss monster and I, uh, you know, I won the Grand Prix. And so with, we call that hard fun because what happens is different from easy fun. It's really led with having a, by having a clear goal and uh, some obstacle or constraints you know, to that goal and then some strategy to get around it. So in the game of basketball, for example, it's why the basketball hoop is, uh, you know, it's high and it's small overhead because it makes it harder to get at. And it makes that harder because it's harder. It also makes it more fun in a different kind of way, very different than easy fun. So hard fun is all about challenge and mastery, the feeling of frustration and the feeling of fiero, the feeling of winning, that personal accomplishment. And then we noticed more things about people's favorite games is that people really liked playing with other people. People love, you know, playing games they don't like. They love playing games even though they hate playing games as long as their friends are involved. Winning feels more special if your friends are in the same room. And we found so many more emotions there too. So amusement is the one, you know, laughter is the one that we find uh, often the most. But there's, uh, you know, schadenfreude, there's joy, there's envy, there's the feeling of friendship and social bonding, which I think is huge, a huge motivator for a lot of folks playing games. And then lastly, what we found is uh, another group of emotions that really was interesting that players also like to play games simply to change themselves or to change the world, right? And we call that serious fun. And there were mechanics like repetition and rhythm, collection and completion mechanics, the feeling of like wanting something and then being able to get it. Uh, we found that, you know, just like with people fun, there are more in people fun, there were more emotions than the other three keys combined. Well, in serious fun, it was really all about the feeling of that wasn't a waste of time. It's actually doing something for me and doing some good in the world or, you know, doing, uh, you know, building skills. So in basketball, you know, I'm, I'm working out, right. Or I'm, you know, I feel like I'm winning a tournament, something like that. In uh, the, you know, in the game of life, you know, I might be playing, someone might be playing crosswords or a language game in order to combat Alzheimer's. Or in the case of one of our games, you know, Tilt World, where actually uh, players' points that they earn in the game actually plant trees in the real world. And so there's that, out, that real world outcome, uh, which is very, very satisfying. Uh, kind of also like behind uh, games like Minecraft or Legos, you know, the feeling that you build something and then it's there for, you know, a friend or something or someone to come and explore with you uh, later or a rec room in the world of VR. You have these little rooms that you make in virtual reality and then you can invite your friends over for a haunted house, a mystery dinner, an escape room, uh, you, know, uh, you know, just a simple bouncing ball kind of game that you, that you host and you created. And it's, there's a really wonderful thing uh, of afterwards, the feeling of afterwards that it meant something. In fact, games will put in like 50 features that are all about serious fun and nothing at all about the actual challenge in the game, but that they're all designed, all these serious fun features are designed to make that winning feel more memorable and, and, more, uh, and more significant. So then if we boil that down into, you know, four types of fun, easy fun, curiosity, win and surprise, hard fun, challenge and mastery, the feeling of frustration to uh, feeling of winning, People fun, which is a feeling of amusement and friendship, uh, maybe a little schadenfreude, maybe nachas when you feel like when you're the joy in someone seeing someone uh, who you've helped succeed 
and then the feeling of, a, of accomplishment with, the serious, with serious fun. So we have all those four things kind of working together as a system, and people tend to move between them in different times in the play cycle, uh, which we thought was rather interesting. It didn't, they didn't just do one. They moved between them. And so that was, for us, a rather aha moment that maybe that this could apply, the fun and games could actually help us understand human beings in the wild, in the real world, right, outside of gameplay. We might be able to uh, find ways of designing our lives, our, our work, our software, our, you know, our uh, systems of government, our, you know, our systems of work, certainly, to make it feel more rewarding, more intrinsically motivating and uh, enjoyable. And then also to be able to, just like they do in games, they actually put you into different emo- a specific emotional state for a particular task in a game. It's evolved. Some of this is intentional. A lot of it is just evolved uh, through uh, the design of games, trying to design games better because we have to get better at our craft every year. It's a very competitive space. So that's where the four keys can kind of boil, uh, you know, rolls out into the real world, which is where we get, you know, gamification. And gamification, uh, one of the uh, founding research principles or models uh, is the four keys since we released uh, released that so you know so long ago and uh, what, what I love is that the there's just this wonderful opportunity to improve the world of work um, and then the work your and our personal lives as well in the world of work uh, there's this just it's just mind-boggling to me the way software that we use every day is designed. Uh, if you have to be creative, like you have to put on a radio show, you know, or, or a podcast, uh, you have recording software. And um, if you have, uh, if you're doing a movie poster, you have photo editing software, right? So you're editing, you're creating this project. At the very beginning of the project, you need to be kind of open to new ideas and try things out and kind of mix match and pastiche and come up with new concepts. That requires like a very positive emotional state. And uh, at the end of the project, you actually have to make decisions. There's a deadline. You have to you have to cut things mm, down. The worst. Yeah. 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 Very. Is it a very different emotional state for you? Yeah. I'm, well, I mean, your work as a whole, watching your videos, gives me a lot of hope for the future. Because one, I, I mean, this is kind of like you know, you would think on the surface, oh, this is just insider industry information for designing a game that hooks people and keeps their time. But the more I think about it, the more I realize how much I wish somebody had taught me this when I was younger. For instance, I meet a lot of people who see me doing their show or they see me writing or like on the outside, if you look at me, it looks like, oh, he's productive and doing stuff. And trying to get people into the start phase is harder for some of us. And for me, it's easier to start and harder to finish. But to know if I knew, oh, hey, I want to draw every day, let's instead of doing some, as you would call, hard fun, like let's learn how to render realistic lighting, which I would love to, let's start with how to do something smaller using the curiosity. Let's explore with five mediums that we haven't done before, or let's, you know, things that are less about less about winning or losing at the early phase. So... When it comes to hard fun, I'm running into a real problem with my life and my workflow, which is the rewards aren't keeping up with the work. And I think anybody trying to start an endeavor, trying to start a company or start a new personal practice, I think is running into this problem too, because you hear this thought all the time about when it's no longer fun. Like the excitement, the curiosity is gone. I, maybe even relationships too, I think. And then 
now the real world has kicked in. Now it's about a publication schedule and it's about getting the podcast out and then shaming myself when the podcast doesn't come out on time. And so I am sincerely searching for how to change my workflow and change my process in a way that nourishes me as much as it takes away. And I'd love to hear about your thoughts when you encounter, and we could talk about it in terms of a game and and go from there, but when you encounter that problem where the problem is, right, you need a great challenge, you need a great frustration, but how do you not get burnt out? But how do you keep it in that place where it's it allows you to have fun, be curious, make mistakes, and then get into the hard stuff and finish and then get rewarded. It's such a delicate balance that for me is really, really off and really is something that I'm willing to personally commit more time to thinking about. Yeah, I, I think it's that's a perfect uh, application of what this uh, initial research, this early research did and does now, because the what we found is that, you know, human beings need these different emotional states. Well, first of all, there's more than one kind of fun. And then with the multiple kinds of fun, each had a different emotion profile. And then there were different emotions being experienced and expressed during those different kinds of play. And that the mechanics, the emotion architecture for each of the four was different. I can't just as a game designer give you something and then you suddenly feel that emotion. I give you the opportunity, improv theater style, and you can take it up if you want to. And so then like if we think about like, well, now does, how does this apply to work and how does it apply to the thing, you're, you realize you had a great illustration of, you know, at first there's a lot of novelty and I'm just playing around and it's fun. And that's, that's very much easy fun. Easy fun is all about imagination and novelty. Uh, and then I want to produce things. I want to get something out like a podcast or, you know, a piece of art or, you know, us, a game, right? Uh, and I want to challenge myself, but if the challenge is the same, you know, every, every time, then you're going to get you're going to get bored, right? And so you need this gradual increase of challenge. So you need a work structure to gradually increase your challenge and not just more monsters, less health, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Not just more monsters, less health, but we want to have more, uh, basically we want to have new goals, new kinds of goals. And then we want to have new strategy because that's, you know, then, then our thinking brain is like, well, how can I get there now with this new, this new thing? And it could be new, you know, so new that it goes into easy fun and now I'm exploring and like, it's totally, totally, totally different or it's similar, but now it's just, now I'm trying to do, you know, I'm trying to, you know, interview, um, I'm going to have like two themes in the interview and not just one. And I'm going to try and get my questions. So I'm going to, you know, bounce back and forth. I, you know, you know, your craft better than I do. But, you know, so this is a natural human need and it seems it's just so, you know, it's just so sad and, and insane that our work has not caught up to this basic human understanding of human psychology and human emotions. And it was revealed to us, you know, through me, through by really watching people play. And so if you think about that software, just as an example, um, you know, with lots of information workers, you know, in your, in your audience, I'm sure, if you go to the average, you know, uh, if you go to the average workplace in America, you know, if it were a zoo, the Humane Society would shut it down by lunchtime because the environment, the, the software tools, the work structure is so not suited to the, uh, the individuals that are, that are inhabiting that space and expected to perform. In the case of an individual, like a software, like, um, you know, in that workplace, let's just go into one someone's monitor and, you know, we might be looking at a slide presentation or a, a Excel spreadsheet or a Word document or a photo editing document. And it's the same interface from beginning to end. 
it doesn't change, right? <laughs> right. And you basically only either get criticized or you did it right. Yeah. <laughs> In yeah. a lot of cases. Yeah. 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 And so it fails, you know, the, 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 the thing doesn't balance, you know, your PL is off or, you know, you, you can't get that font to work or, you know, there's no, there's no feedback and then there's no recognition. What we need is we really need this like air on chair for the brain though, right? This really comfy chair for the brain, emotionally comfy chair, right? And that chair needs to have different postures, right? So now I need a little bit more positive affect because I want to explore something. So you need something like what Google does with their their doodles. They make them funny and, and it, you know, different. They doodle it up. It's not like just the major holidays. It's like, wait, what is that? Who is that? Gets you curious, which is the emotional state you need to be researching things on the internet. So you can see how the UI is actually creating the emotional state that you actually need to accomplish your task. Most software, you know, by and large doesn't. And then we do exactly what you say. It's like, you know, we feel bad about ourselves. We feel ashamed. We feel like, oh, I can't work. You know, I'm going to try and Pomodoro my way through this, you know, getting things done type of thing. When in fact, you know, it's the, the, I really put the, I really point the finger at how workplaces are designed and how the software is designed to not at all understand like what naturally motivates people. The, the lineage is from factory work. I think is the problem is that schools were originally made to create good factory workers and we needed people to do repetitive tasks. And so we've inherited this funky, I mean, we're not, you know, going to be able to completely destroy the foundation, but our foundation has some problems worth retrofitting, uh, especially for people who have some autonomy in their lives. If you have autonomy in your personal life, which everyone should hopefully have, uh, you need to start thinking about this. And so in your own life, how do you allow yourself? I, I will just start from the ground up and go through these processes. And this mm -hmm. is for audience members who are freaked out. This is the most direct an interview has ever been. Because normally, again, I focus on the person and who your mother was and this and that. But I'm just too grabbed by your work. <laughs> In your own life, when you're, say, starting something new, how do you give yourself permission to have the novelty and the curiosity? Because for me, I can get that wave of excitement about things that, say, could propel me or make me feel better. But I've noticed that if it's not obviously going to benefit me, like, let's say, reading a novel. I just started reading a novel. I'm like, 900 pages in it's a big one but it's the first one that i've read in 10 years because i never felt like i could justify the time and so f for you especially when you say hey i have this new game and you should try it what are your sneaky ways that you can get people to allow themselves to get creative to be fun to enjoy the novelty without it needing to be something productive or Useful. Yeah, that is so such an awesome question because that's precisely what we did, you know, 10, 10 years ago. A little bit a little bit more so. I got I stood in line for one of these new shiny devices, you know, that's called an cool. iPhone. And uh for the very first iPhone. And uh what I did, I brought it home and I was just so taken with it. I showed up the next week and I, uh, to go to, I, I was invited to iPhone dev camp. So it was a hackathon, a weekend hackathon. So we we're going to, everyone was going to try and put stuff on the phone. Cause it was, it was locked down. It was, there was no app store. There was no SDK, nothing, nothing. Um, but we were going to try. And so, you know, how do you give 
yourself permission, right? How do you have autonomy? Well, this was sort of my, you know, kind of my story there is why we're making games. And, you know, we do, we have amazing clients. We do amazing work, you know, in, you know, we've worked on The Sims and Myst and Star Wars, lots of really great things. But I had to give myself permission to do our own games because there was stuff that needed to happen in the world that just needed to happen sooner than I could, you know, do just as a, as a, as a consultant through a consulting practice. Both from a you know personal side of being able to express myself, but also that these uh, that these games exist to inspire others, you know, to be fun in their own right, and then also to inspire others to create and have uh, higher aspirations for what you know what interactive entertainment could do. And so that's you know that's where we we did. So I showed up at iPhone Dev Camp, and I was had a lot of trepidation. So maybe some in the audience can uh, can can relate. You know, I was you know had really long hair. I didn't look like any of them. You know, I was like practically the only woman there. And I said, okay, well I'm going to go in, and I hadn't coded for years either. So I was like, okay, I'm going to bring my laptop, but I have no idea how to you know even get an IDE on the environment. You know, in there, right? Don't know JavaScript anyway. But I said, okay, I'm going to come in. I'm going to bring in a ream of paper and a handful of Sharpies. And I'm going to stay for five minutes. And I can go after five minutes if I want to, but I'm just going to stay. You know? And so I made it sort of a little game. It's like, okay, well, I'm, I survived the five-minute mark. It's like, okay, now I'm going to do 15. And I just kept pushing the deadline up, up a little bit, one at a time. And then by the time I, you know, by the time the one hour mark was, I had, I had the, a paper, a small table covered with paper with Sharpie markers. And I had like people like three or four deep, you know, looking at me, but what is she doing? Right. Because I'm, I'm drawing and I'm drawing the first iPhone game, essentially. Uh, we drew, I drew one that was a labyrinth, you know, with a little ball that would go, you know, but we didn't have accelerometer access. So that, that we couldn't do. Uh, Christopher Allen introduced me to Joe Hewitt, who is the lead engineer for, um, for this game. And we did know whether he did know, he had a great hack and he knew whether the port, the phone was either portrait or landscape. So we could rotate the phone and, uh, and, and know, and know which way it was rotated. So that's how we built the first, very first iPhone game. It's called Tilt. And, uh, we eventually released Tilt World, which is now more of a, a, a full blown iPhone game, but that the original Tilt was a, was an iOS game and it got a million downloads and top hack of the iPhone by Wired Magazine. And, uh, we got, you know, just a lot of press for it. But just think of what would have happened if I had like, you know, listened to that inner voice and like maybe left at that first five minutes, right? Or that first hour and, you know, just didn't, just didn't, just didn't stay. So the first step is definitely giving yourself permission. It took me about a year to give myself permission to follow up on that game because I showed it to everybody and, you know, Nolan Bushnell loved it. Lots of people loved it. Lots of my clients, um, publishers loved it. Uh, or liked it, but they were not like ready to invest in it. As a, me, as a developer, it's like, well, who am I, right? You're, you're this researcher, you're this game researcher, you're not, you're not a developer. And uh, so I, you know, about a year to give myself permission to do it. And then about two more years, I think roughly to save up enough money out of my income so that I could actually then, you know, make a full version and put it, put it up on the app store. So it's a, it's a combination of after there's permission, there is that, you know, if it gets too frustrating, being able to switch my work mode into more playful. So you'll see my notebooks are full of drawings. Um, you know, this is a, this is a, draw, a set of drawings from my, you know, from my talk at GDC on narrative AI. And so I will often have fun with just the way it's illustrated, right? I switch modalities. You've already seen the puppet, um, <laughs> you know, so that there's that, that element of, of play. The low bar of entry, too, is a 
I didn't think of it in terms of gamification, in terms of getting my, but I do have a promise to myself to walk into the gym five days a week. And so that doesn't mean that I work out five days a week, but that means that five days a week, I walk into a gym, a gym that has exercise bikes and weights and things that could be used by me. And I just so happen to exercise mostly five days a week, which contributes to my mental health and various other things that are, I've just given up that I don't, me with my current mental illness and so I don't have the luxury not to exercise. So, but that low cost of entry, like starting writing for eight minutes instead of writing for two hours, for instance, is such a huge trick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's precisely that it's that, uh, for hard fun, this is the hard fun part. So it's a, it's a long-term goal broken de- down into achievable steps. And so, you know, just walking in, right. Just me, just opening up the notebook, just going to my favorite cafe and say, okay, I'm going to sit here for an hour. Nothing needs to happen. I'll just kind of, you know, cuddle up next to the problem and I'll just like kind of snuggle up against it and maybe inspiration will, but at least I'm going to be writing or drawing or being in that place of not checking social media for an hour, you know, every day, something like that was hugely helpful in, uh, in, in reducing the thing, the, the stress and stuff around it. Uh, around developing our our games. And I think there's also something that's really important as well, because we're, you know, the games that we're creating at Zeoplay, it's all about unlocking human potential, you know, whether it's physical or social or cognitive or emotional. And it's, uh, again, that's, I think it's a, uh, the lack of opportunities for exercise is, you know, a big cause of people's, you know, you know, discontent and a lot of a lot of issues, quote unquote, are really, I think, more of a reflection of us not designing society, right? You know, not designing the world, right? I'm a game designer, so I can, you know, I can imagine 10 versions of this, you know, building in this, this, the city that we're right sitting in. Uh, you know, I, I worked with, uh, I worked on the, the Sims a little bit. And, uh, you know, I think that it can be, you know, what an opportunity it is to redesign the world around us so that it it's providing those natural, those natural feelings, those natural experiences that keep us our, as our best selves. And uh, not have to like, okay, I've got to make this list and I've got to do these things and check it off and stuff like that. It would be, wouldn't it be great if we could just get, you know, exercise, social interaction just naturally as we move through the world and not have to make an appointment? Because everybody, I think, is in the boat of where, you know, we need enough of these basic things. I give a talk on um, what I call DOS, which is dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphin. Endorphins is what comes from exercise. And uh, that if we gamify our lives so that we can hit these, you know, feel-good chemicals on a daily basis, uh, it can lead to a lot more, you know, human happiness. And so intentionally, I love your game of like, you know, showing up every day. It's like, okay, I just got to be, I've just got to be there um, to, uh, and then it's just, you've, you've taken away the barrier to entry and then you just like, you know, then it's just like a little bit more. The other wonderful thing about a gym is that there's a little bit of social, depending on the gym. Gyms have different social things, definitely, but there can be some very good social vibes around working out. So you're getting reinforcement of like, we're all committed to our health. You can also just get friendly waves and high fives or something from other other folks. You can also just get inspired by, you know, I know some people are like bench pressing like way more than I can. So there's lots of interesting interactions that way. Yeah, I, I had to do actually some mental shifting because there was uh, there was a bit of intimidation or I'm not worthy or that I should be somewhere else. And these are for me; those are like super dangerous thoughts. 
uh, is that I'm not worthy. Like these are red flags that when I notice them, it's like, let's think about what's going on because I, I'm not worthy is a very dangerous thought for me. Intimidation it will lead to helplessness, which has been a default for me. So I have to be careful of that. There's some payoff of me just going, well, I'm helpless. Can't do anything. But what happened with the gym and what I should, what I would actually love to then take back into maybe other areas of my life. What happened at the gym is now I think of it as like a Spartan, uh, I, I don't know what you call where the gladiators train. Yeah, like the Coliseum. Or the, the Coliseum, yeah, yeah, but right. where we're all on the same team. So if there's a super strong guy, I'm like, that's a good teammate. I'm really glad he's on our team. You know, and even if he's kind of a jerk, it's like, yeah, he's, he's, he's a jerk, but he's on our team. You should see him when he's up against our enemies. You know, there's something about going into like team human mode, which has made the gym more fun for me. It's made it so rather than I'm in competition with everyone else, which I'm sure for some people is a great motivator. For me, it's not. It's gone, oh, I need to be a good team member. And so I need to also be able to carry you know, relatively heavy things so I can carry my weight for the team. And yeah, so the positioning it, so it is a fun environment, is huge. And for some reason, it just, I haven't done it in my work life. Well, there you go. There's an opportunity, right? I think because, you know, as a business owner, I consume a lot of material where we glorify the unfun and we glorify working to, to the bone and not sleeping enough. And we glorify like being busy and grinding. Like I have such a beef with the word grind because it's like, that's an abrasive word. Why would you use that as a virtue? And there's some deep work around it for me. I can... I can hear that. It, just me talking about the gym or eating well and hearing my voice go up in this conversation. I'm kind of listening to myself right as I talk. And then talking about work, I can feel it all go down. And this is not unfun work. It's just, for me, it, it's an area that I need to focus on. Well, there's huge, there's huge opportunities. And I love the idea of, you know, you stepping into the arena at the gym and then you're all on the same team and appreciating and using, you know, being, you know, you're experiencing gratitude and the feeling of like camaraderie is a, uh, is a huge, uh, social, there's a social sense of belonging as well. And gyms will, you know, vary in their, um, uh, what their, what their culture is, but regardless of the culture, you know, we can create our own, just like the augmented reality glasses I had you try earlier. We can create our own version, our own narrative, our own framing for any portion, anything that we do, any time of the day. Uh, and that imaginative play uh, is available to all of us because we can all, most of us, uh, you know, can you know, read books and can imagine that space in their head. So most of us have this sense of imagination. And certainly I used to do that for, you know, studying, you know, I was a student at Stanford and I was like, you know, on massive work study. So I was sleepy some, most of the time. And then, um, you know, and then, but, you know, studying and I always just pretend like I was like, okay, I'm going to be a, yeah, so that I was in flight school to be an, an astronaut in some sort of, you know, Star Trek, Star Wars sort of universe. And I had to get this done because, you know, that was flight school and, you know, we, we'd be able to go out, and go out in there and fly our little Vipers or whatever, wear little X-Wings. Uh, so gamifying that can be another, another really, really wonderful thing. I think, the understanding, the mindfulness is amazing. You're hearing you talk in the sense of being aware of, of what the, uh, 
aware of what of the emotional uh, the emotional state and then also the the factors the environment and the interactions that are connected to those emotional states and then changing the ability the flexibility that you have to change those things out to create a new emotional state for yourself is amazing it's an amazing uh, sense of self-ownership and you know ability to, to 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 swap that out that can be developed again initially with play and then just applied to the other spheres of your life and that, and that relates to like what play is, you know, and I think that people think of work and play, right? So play, light world work, right? You know, it's a downer. But really, um, if we look at what play is, it's a natural thing. All mammals play and actually many species play. And the role, the role of play in the world is really about for human beings is to learn new things. And that's our initial first step. And so it's, you know, as adults, and certainly in Western culture anyway, we're discouraged from play. We're encouraged to work. The idea being, you know, that, you know, work is valuable and play is a waste of time. But that's not true because play is very integrated into a lot of cognitive emotional processes. And if you don't get enough of it, you know, you're going to you know, be depressed, right? And then the other thing is that it actually can be functional into um, certain kinds of play can actually be functional inside many work objectives. So playing with ideas, playing with words, you know, coming up with new things, having some kind of, uh, you know, cooperative competition, like you were saying with your at the gym, you know, if everyone had that same mindset, you know, we would all be rowing together and you could see uh, if you wanted to gamify, you could like have a big row score or something like that. And everyone would be, you know, contributing to the group score. Or you could literally like, you know, have the barbarians breaking through walls if you wanted to, or just watching flowers grow. You know, the more, the more everyone lifted, you know, the more, the higher the flowers grew. Uh, those, those kinds of things can be, um, can be very connecting with other people. And that's one of the reasons like why we're with, we have our, um, a game in VR called follow the white rabbit. And it's all about that sense of social connection. So the ability of going around the world in a sense, like if with virtual reality, like why I'm so passionate about, you know, about this medium with VR and AR is that, uh, it's really a trip to wonderland, and that's what play gives us, right? It's this, you know, experience of this, you can be anything that we want. And I grew up in Wonderland. I actually grew up overseas, uh, you know, riding camels, climbing pyramids, exploring fire temples. And I, and I kind of want to go back and, you know, re-experience those uh, emotions I had as a kid, you know, going, you know, traveling through the Middle East. And VR is the first opportunity I've had to really create those emotional states, where you could actually go to, you know, this cafe in Paris, like, like you were earlier, or, you know, go visit the, uh, the Great Wall of China or, you know, the pyramids in Egypt. All of those things are possible. And when you come out of that experience, you can, um, like, like a good book or a good movie, you can feel refreshed, you can feel catharsis, you know, a la Aristotle. But you can also feel this sense of connection and the sense of, um, since they're interactive, you've solved something, there's a little bit more fiero, there's a little bit more mastery, there might be a little bit more, well, oh, I got something done today. And then you may go back to your work, which sometimes can feel endless, you know, like it doesn't have this rhythm, it doesn't have the sense of completion, these loops don't close, there's just always more work. You feel like, is it Sisyphus who's like rolling that rock up, up always, you know, up the hill always? And so we can have these breaks that are play as well. 
And then they can, you know, inspire either fantasy framings for work or simply the ability to come back in with the a different, you, you might play a game to get a certain mental state and then go into uh, a certain activity with the, 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 uh, the mental state that really makes that activity work really well. So if you have to answer a lot of emails or if you have to run a lot of sums through a spreadsheet, you could actually play a game in advance to get you in that mindset to, to go in. To make an association between email and that? Not that the, uh, thinking about the Google, the way that Google like changes their logo to create a state, a state, a mental state of curiosity, more of an emotional state. And so if you are running, running spreadsheets and numbers, there's a certain mental state and then a set of emotions, depending on what you're doing, you need to do with those numbers that you could play a game in advance, almost like a surgeon can play a very, um, can practice a, a simulated surgery before he goes in or she goes in. They could also just play a fast action game just to get the mental de- dexterity up in order before you go in. And so that's kind of an interesting, interesting thing. But I think like the ideal kind of way, the way games can uh, help us is uh, that if, if we could you know, gamify the, again, the tools that we use, whether it was like how I keep track of my tasks or my calendaring app, if that could provide a regular flow of uh, different emotions that were very constructive to what I was trying to accomplish and enhance the experiences that I, that I saw. I mean, you, you have a birthday, you have a list of little birthdays that come up of your friends, but they pretty much look the same and feel the same as the, you know, your appointment with your dentist, you know, very different mental events. And so if you're going, you know, you don't, you, when you're going out, when you're going to go out to your, um, uh, you know, drinks with your friends or something, or go out kite flying with your friends, you, the calendar should like reflect the emotion that you're doing, right? If it's on your watch or if it's on your phone or if it's on your laptop or your desktop, it, it you know, it shouldn't look like a dentist appointment <laughs> in my opinion, because it's like, it's got to be new and celebrate. I mean, it'd be lovely to do that and see pictures of your friends as you, you know, as you, as you go in. What are we looking for in terms of reward and and payoff when we're thinking about designing new habits or new, what are, what are we after? Well, a lot of the, uh, a lot of work has been done about, uh, around the psychology principle of, you know, stimulus response reward loops. So if I change my behavior, if I want to change my behavior, then I should reward myself in little increments and then, then the behavior, you know, should change. And that's, uh, that's, that's definitely one approach. One of the problems is that if you do these little micro rewards, they have to escalate, they have to get bigger to have that same reward feeling. And they also have to have novelty. So they have to get, they have to increase in size, if you will. And they also have to increase in, in like in, in difference. And that's a, that's more of a push kind of a thing. Whereas if you were to really, and that's the points and badges, like approach to gamification, mm-hmm. But if you were really to apply the four keys or really to apply game thinking, you actually change the nature, your attitude about it, uh, or how you actually do the, the work itself. And I very much, I think that you're, is very intrinsic the way that you are reimagining that, uh, you know, the, the arena, the, the coliseum of all of these, you know, sport gladiators, you know, working together. That's very much more intrinsic than, you know, hey, I earned five points because I, you know, brushed my teeth today. Um, right. Yeah. So... And you're totally right that with the small rewards, the reward will not be enough, especially for an ex-junkie like myself. Like, right? It's always more, more, more. You have to uh, increase the dose. Like any addiction, you have to increase the dose. And that's not what you're really after. So what, what are the keys to sustainable loops? 
Like, let's say, I mean, I, I'm here before you to try and reimagine my office, to try and reimagine the way I produce this content, which I love so much about it, but for the actual practice has become a drag. Like, it's just become a drag. And how do you go about designing a sustainable loop if it's not the reward because you're right, like if I'm going off of, oh, I want to get 10 new followers or 10 new listeners, right? Well, next week it's going to have to be 20 and eventually it's going to be failure. So how do you, I mean, this could be about your own life or in your own game design. How do you think about designing a sustainable reward cycle or not reward cycle, a sustainable cycle? See how built in it is to me? Yeah. Yeah. I, and, 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 it's, and you are not alone. I think that our whole culture has really, you know, taken this into the stimulus response reward loops, right? And, you know, Pavlov and, you know, the behavior of Skinner and all those, it's really, it is very solid science and it works. We have Las Vegas and casinos, they run on that stuff. Awesome. But feeling compelled to play is not the same as having fun. (laughs) So what I ask people when you think about the four keys is how do we want to have fun with this? And uh, with this particular goal, with this particular thing that I want to do, I want to do more of. And the first question I ask is, um, ask yourself, you know, how can I close the loop? So I've done, you know, this is, I'm going to do this activity. And then how does that loop close, you know, at the, especially like at the end of the day? How do I get that feeling of, you know, work well done? How, what, what feels, what, what would feel, what would make that thing close, close for me? And it can be um, the feeling of, you know, I mean, very simple things like checking things off a list or the feeling of, of closure. It can also be a meditative practice where you, you know, reach the, you know, where you set these goals and you reach them. And so the first one is close, is just think about closed loop because a lot of times people just don't close. They never close loop because it's like, okay, well that, you know, so I did this, this, and this, and now I've got tomorrow, I've got that, that, and that, and then I've got next week this, and then this was wrong, and then... You know, and then these, I would do this better, and they get kind of just all um, random and crazy, kind of all over the place. And it's kind of a leadership skill in a sense of like, look, let's take this unit of work and like, well, how did it get complete? How did it feel? I mean, how did it get to, you know, another, you know, another unit or another, another thing? How can we feel satisfied about that, that accomplishment? So the closure is super important. The next step is then looking at people's natural tendencies, because again, they want to they want to explore like all four keys. Closing the loop is usually serious fun. It's like that sense of accomplishment after the win, after we did this. But in something that has a repetition and rhythm to it, uh, you know, the number one reason why people play games is because they're bored. Yeah. And so the boredom, for some reason, it's fascinating to me. It's like people don't like to be bored. They hate being bored, which is why we have a social media addiction problem, right? You know, because people are like, ah, and they're scrolling in their feeds. Their faces are in that rectangle. Like. I hate being bored. <laughs> and my mom, as a writer, always said, that's where you got to be. You know, like that's where the great writing comes from, is from being bored for a little bit. But so, okay, what's... Yeah, so, yeah. you know, so I talked about being in a, you know, so I give myself, I go to a cafe because it's <clears throat> a special treat for me. You know, I'll you know, get some tea and sit down. And then there's like a nice social buzz around me. Um, I usually wear earplugs, but, you know, just there's, there's a sense of, you know, other people, right, which can be motivated, motivating. Um, seeing people like study stuff and that, that kind of thing is great. But then the, so what's boredom? Well, if you look at a game cycle, the first thing, again, it's that curiosity that hook, that pulls you in. It's that, it's that opportunity. It's that novelty. 
So it's that creativity, it's that, you know, the creativity, the um, exploration, the role play. You were role playing in the gym, right? You know, you're coming in because we're all gladiators in this, you know, arena. This That can help get you, uh, get you started. And, pro- you know, having a sense of novelty of doing something new and different setting new types of goals and new, again, it has to, goals that have to have new strategies. So it isn't that I'm going to get, you know, 10 interviews in this week instead of five or instead of four, instead of one. Because then you hit unsustainability. Yeah, it's unsustainability and it's not, um, it's unsustainable. And then it's also, it's just quantity. You're going to measure what, you're going to measure what you're, um, you're going to perform to what you measure. So it's kind of like the, I give this example of the Golden Gate Bridge. I mean, the, not the Bay Bridge. So we're in the East Bay driving into San Francisco, got the Bay Bridge toll plaza, and they gamified that years ago. They uh, introduced a variable toll rate to try and decrease traffic during peak hours. They charge more. But what they didn't consider is, is that, you know, at, you know, it's 6.49 p.m. or whatever on a Friday night, that basically what happened is that traffic would just get backed up because people would, like, pull over <laughs> in the mediums. They would, like, stop on the active highway. Everybody, like, waiting at the, at the toll booth, waiting for the toll to go from $6 to $4. And so that's, uh, you know, and so you have to think about the tertiary consequences of things like that. Um, so with, your, with the reward structure, that's, you know, that's a little bit off balance. People fun is another. So we've got you know novelty with easy fun, challenge with hard fun, but also the social, the interaction, the socially can be a huge motivator as an opportunity to uh, you know to interact in a different way. So is there a way in which the work can just like me going to a cafe instead of just sitting on my couch at home, you know, trying to design something? Um, is there a way of getting you know more, more social interaction around that? And then with serious fun, connecting with mission. So we talk about a lot, a lot of gamification stuffs about points and badges, but really it's about purpose and meaning and value. So a badge or a point is a token, a symbol of something, but really connecting in with like why, you know, why am I, why am I here? You know, why am I? What am I passionate about? What do I want? What change do I want to see? You know, in the world, for you know our games, which takes a long time, uh, they like take a long time to build. It's that challenge, the hard fun of challenge, and then also the serious fun of creating it. Like, could we create a global empathy machine with Follow White Rabbit, which also has a little bit of people fun in it, too, because it's empathy. Could we really create a game about forgiveness? Could we create a game about that changes people's uh, attitudes about the environment and about planting trees, you know, from being being eco being hard to something that's being lightweight and easy and fun? Those, those kinds of connections to the passion can help with, with motivation uh, as, as well. I don't know if that answers your question at all. But. Yeah, I mean, Tilt World's awesome in that, in that way where it's like if you play a certain amount, then you guys will plant a tree in Madagascar. In my own life, I, have, I don't own any gaming systems because I am such an addictive personality. And there's such an outlet. There's such an escape in the way that drugs and alcohol work for me as well, and why I don't do drugs or alcohol. But what I've noticed is when I've gotten my hands on my son's Nintendo Switch, I will go back into hardcore gamer mode, which for me is like I'm willing to walk around a field back and forth, back and forth, collecting coins that happen when you walk over the bush until I'm a filthy rich character in the game. I'm willing to do this incredible amount of unfun Farming, I think, is the gamer term, right? Farming coins or... Yeah, grind, the grind, right? The grind. Yeah. For the reward, which is game money. But in my real world, 
I am so terrified of asking for money from audience members. I am so terrified in fighting for my own financial success. And I am not willing to put in the same amount of time that I would to excel in a game. And I'm wondering where you find those discrepancies, especially in your own life, because you're a gamer. I'm sure you enjoy some games too much as well. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I think that's, that's a, there's, oh, there's so much there. Uh, firstly, is that why we're making our own games is we really wanted to focus on the fun and not like an addiction mechanic. We wanted to find other ways and highlight other ways to interact that didn't just where people couldn't put it down because they felt just compelled to do like one more coin, one more thing. We wanted it to be much more of a, a, a much different form of entertainment. Not that, you know, I, I can't judge, you know, other, other, other games. Sure you can. But, you know, I'm not, yeah, and I'm not a person, you know, and I have to, you know, I have to watch my own gaming because like I would certain games just, I just feel too compelled to like, okay, you know, if it, and if I feel too compelled, I just, I just put it, I put it down. I try something else because I don't, and I actually just don't like that feeling of being compelled. I really, I really don't. I mean, it's very strong and, mm-hmm. um, but I don't like that. I don't like that feeling. I like other feelings. And, uh, but likewise, like you, you know, I have a hard time asking for money, right? Asking for, you know, support of our games and, you know, should we launch a Kickstarter? Could I ask, you know, asking money is tough. It's really tough. And there are, when it's real world money, there's a very interesting emotion profile around it. And it's different for everybody, but there's definitely a disconnect between like money and friendship. So with money is sort of my friend Jerry Mikowski would say is that money is there, exists when friendship isn't, can't take care of it. And what happens is that it's a weird, it's a, it's got a weird emotional vibe to it because in um, like, if we're friends, I could say, Hey, can you drive me to the airport tomorrow? And, you know, for friends, you might say, Oh yeah, sure. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think going on tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, I'll do it. But I can't say, okay, can you drive me to the airport tomorrow afternoon? And uh, here's a hundred dollars. If we're friends, it's kind of like, it feels kind of weird that I'm trying to pay you as a taxi for most people, not everybody, but for most people. And so there's a difference between like money and friendship. And so when we, you know, as an artist, I really love, I really love my audience. I really love the people that are, you know, support us and that I really love people that have the same goals that we do. So it's very hard to ask for, you know, for money to help us, you know, finish, you know, finish Follow White Rabbit, for example. So that, that disconnect is, the, is kind of the first, the first thing. So how do you integrate these things? Well, then you think, you know, so again, going back to the gym, which I love the story, uh, is that, you know, can there be a way to gamify that in your own mind? So with a rich imagination, there is, um, you know, you're building, you know, let's say I, I could imagine myself, you know, building this enormous castle, you know, on a hill and, uh, you know, and then I need to, uh, and then I'm going into different rooms in the castle and each room has a different stage of my, you know, crowdfunding campaign as it were. And so then I just have to take on each, uh, each, uh, each room, each boss monster, if you will, by, you know, by completing that, that particular task. And then I can move to the next, the next, the next. And by creating, for me, creating these rich imagination spaces, uh, well, first of all, they're just fun. It's much more fun than spreadsheet. Uh, with, uh, you know, or like a little list or, uh, you know, I mean, I, I gamify stuff. It's, you can see over there, there's some, I have a post-it kind of Trello board in real life, but with post-its, uh, we, we use the bright, the bright neon colored ones. Cause I like those. I mean, just, I like the color. Look at, look at, um, look at gray, white screens, you know, way too often. 
I don't know, for me, you know, I can create imaginary spaces and, you know, conquer these imaginary dragons, usually not by killing them, but doing, doing something else. Befriending them. Befriending them or puzzle rooms, right? Yeah. White Rabbit is all about a puzzle room. Uh, and so like, you know, just like, and just like this game, you know, it's about a magician who's been a charlatan like all his life until one day his magic actually works and the rabbit disappears. And we go, you know, each, each escape room from starting from Paris, you know, and, you know, in 1889, we travel around the world. Each each location can be exotic in my imagination, and then I can go back to that, and that can really ener- re-energize me. It's a different thing than like just going to the seashore, which is good too. It's it's nice just to go and watch the waves for a while. That can reset one. But uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, where augmented reality glasses um, are going, because I could go to you know I could sit in Aladdin's cave now anytime I want. Because <laughs> we, because because I, you know, because because we built it, and uh, I can sit there in Aladdin's cave in the real world. Also, since it's augmented reality, and then I can, you know, work on my little spreadsheets or you know, uh, on my task list as long as I can see through that, or I'm working on it in in VR. But the again, it's like the emotion space. Like it's it's silly that we would go to the same gray box. Most you know, most folks have a cubicle, and you know, you have to do that day after day after day. Just, you know, it just sucking the life out of you, which is why, you know, I have our own studio and I have my own workspace. And, you know, that's why that, that you know, none of these corners are really square. <laughs> and toys and games everywhere. Yeah, on every surface, there's something to interact with, puppets. and So you're a dreamer and a visionary. And so I would love, if you wouldn't mind, to share with us the big scary dreams you have for yourself because here's something i really want to do one day i want to get a megaphone on a microphone stand and put it out in a town square and just say if you have a dream are you willing to tell all these strangers because how many people passionately believe in something but then when it's time to talk about it you kind of like ooh, i don't know that's embarrassing like it's embarrassing to talk about your dream. That's what we've done to ourselves as a culture. Right. Totally. Totally. And so from you, just with a little twist, I would love for you to give us the big, scary, unrealistic dreams for yourself and how you're going to try and design these challenges with the appropriate, appropriate amount of hardness and flow. Yeah. Go. Awesome. Well, first of all, you need to do that right now. <laughs> I, I imagine um, in London they have, in one of the public squares, they have like a speaker stage. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, that's well, so fun. I, I need to you be need able to, to do afford that. a videographer to make it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, then, um, and, I, and I don't mean to push back, and I will answer your question. And then you get one of these, the cell phones, and then you just like have somebody cell phone it if you wanted to, if, if, if costs weren't an, were not an option. Totally do it because I think you would be you would be doing the world a huge surface because one of my you know be, you know one of my bedrock principles is like what fear what is what is your biggest fear and what would you do if it was not there so for me uh, your in your question I, the absolutely I mean it's the it, the biggest fear for me is releasing you know my own my own creative product you know stuff that I made and I and I love that I had a hand on I mean these are bigger projects because it requires a whole team, but just doing that, having my own artistic voice out there, that's the huge scare. It's scary putting it out. And then of course there's the fear of rejection. There's the fear of it. Oh, it's not looking like or working like, like it is in my imagination. There's that gap between ability to execute in, you know, these resources and like what I really wanted to do. 
And so what we've been doing is I started with the hackathon, you know, 2007, uh, and uh, then have done several hackathons since as we, little small projects. Um, I did release Tilt World um, on iOS. It was a launch title on iPad, and Apple has since um, pulled it down. They pulled down all the launch titles. So we were in the process of, you know, porting it over to a new game engine and, uh, you know, we see if we can get it back up on the store, hopefully. But the real scary thing, I think, is, is asking people for money or financing to do the big, scary dream. Because that's kind of like two big, scary things, like, on top of each other. It's a big, scary sandwich that I want to bite into, but I don't want to bite into. And so what we've been doing is I've been self-financing these little experiments and, you know, they're not even up on the, you know, they're, they're all, I've done lots of demos. So actually to get my confidence up, I did a lot of demos. Mm. Um, I was turned down for financing pretty hard. I had a couple of really big, strong nose, strong, scary nose, which hurt a lot uh, at the time. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to pick myself up. Resilience is like, okay, I'm going to take this. And I'm going to prove that they're wrong, right? I'm going to prove that this is actually a game and that this is actually something that's amazing and lots of people. So I did Tons of demos. So we've done thousands and thousands and thousands of demo, hands-on demos. So, and I've gathered, you know, I have an email list of about, we have an email list of about almost 2,000 now, 2,000 people that are interested in our games. And so that was kind of the social, that's helping with the social proof. And um, I can show you something in my wallet. So this is something that I, that I did. We, we, uh, we did, um, I keep lots of things uh, in my wallet, actually. I have little sayings. So this is intention over expectation. So having experience when you, you know, when you do a lot of new things, you can experience the, uh, the not the, uh, the learning opportunity as opposed to the success. And then I have this little tiny thing, which you probably can't read, but it's a little graph. <laughs> it's a little tiny bar graph. And, uh, we did this at last week at the game developers conference at the SVVR VR mixer. We had lots of people play, uh, Aladdin and follow the white rabbit. And, uh, this is an NPS score. And so on a scale of one to 10, like how likely are you to refer a friend? And when we started, we were about an eight average. And last week was the very first week. We had twice as many nines and tens as we had seven and eights. And so... And you keep the pole in your pocket. <laughs> and so it was such a thing. And then I, I had to frame it that way. You know, it's like it, it definitely moved up. But then I said, look, Nicole, it's twice as many nine and tens as there are seven and eights. You know, not just the number, not just a 48 or whatever, 46, 48, but it's a, it's like, that's twice as many people. And this is, you know, this isn't, this is not easy to get. An average is seven on the, on a 10 point scale, an average is seven. So like everybody, as you can see, like pretty much everybody is above average. And so, you know, you have to like in the really personal space of like where, where you, you're conquering your fears or facing your fears, you have to design. It helps if you design. Uh, these opportunities to feel closure at the end of the day, right? Mm. So not only did this get printed out and put on the in the in the break room, uh, not only did it get you know stuffed in my uh, computer laptop as a full sheet, I also made a micro version that fits in my wallet, business card size one, so that whenever I go in and do the scary thing of like actually touch money, right? So that's a scary moment, like I'm spending money because again, you know, I'm as afraid a business to, owner. as a business owner, <laughs> yeah. as a business owner, and as personally too. Yeah. It is on the business side of my wallet, though. That's interesting. But then I'm saying, like, look, there's something here, right? And so I made a bigger milestone out of this. It could have been just a demo. I didn't have to collect the data. I could have just had people play. And then I think about, 
you know, well, people were waiting 30 minutes to play, you know, play our games. 30 minutes. And we, we actually overheated and we had to like, you know, shut it down for a little while because people were playing so much. So I took a moment to think about that. And I could have had other framings, like, uh, you know, some other things, a lot of things went wrong, you know, and, you know, as usual, right, lots of technical difficulties, you know, the thing overheated, whatever. So I'm trying to break it up into little, you know, achievable steps to the goal of getting, you know, more of our games, you know, or, you know, a set of our games out on the out on the app store. Yeah, well, can I just poke you about the getting sure. seeking investment? Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, yeah. going. You you have the idea of building a full game, which in today's world requires lots of development time, lots of artists, lots of 3D modelers, lots of rigging. I mean, not to get too into the weeds here, but so you have to put yourself a. You have to do a bunch of stuff that you don't want to do: writing copy, making pitch decks, blah blah blah, all the stuff that you know. When people want to spend lots of money, they kind of want as reassurances. And you also, <laughs> I just want to show up and say, Hey, fund me, right? Me too. You know? yeah. it, it would be fun. That's the fun and the fun, you know, just, just fund me. Right. You have to put yourself at risk for getting rejected. So what are the little, just as like a case study for us, what are the little ways you're designing this next experience of yourself of like putting yourself out there and getting rejected and doing all this stuff that you don't want to do? Yeah. How are you designing this next little chapter? For yeah. One of, well, one of the, one of the things that was hard about even like accepting this interview or, or coming on was like, well, wait, I'm not successful yet. I mean, well, I am. I mean, we have one, we have one, we have launched, you know, a game in this, in this domain. But then it's like, well, you know, if I had, if I had five games out there and millions of players, you know, then I could sit down and I would feel very, I could be very professorial. I don't know. But for right now, it's, it's, a, it's a work in progress. And that's actually what life is. Life is a work in progress. And that's fun. Because if I didn't have a challenge like this, and that was, that was super scary, that kept me up at night, then I'd probably be bored and, you know, uh, have, other, have other issues. Um, I use challenges to, you know, focus. And I feel very satisfied when I, when I accomplish, uh, when, I, when, when, they, when they work. And so you're right. I mean, it's, uh, you know, there is this, um, one of the harder things I've had to do is, you know, balance the amount of consulting I do, which, because my income basically funds the game development, right, right now. And so I had to up that, you know, more consulting, less games, you know, and for the past two years, it's been super challenging, because it's like, well, I'd like to work on my game this weekend, but that Monday meeting with my client, you know, I really got to be, you know, I got to be on board for that. So the, uh, uh, you know, so it can be, it can be really, it can be really challenging. I kind of think of it like skateboarding and that there are speed bumps. So these things that happen, like on Sunday, I tried to activate the, the Tilt World email address list and turns out that the host, you know, the, um, I had it up on um, MailChimp and they deleted the account with oh. all my email addresses. <laughs> And so, you know, it's, there's a fear of rejection, but there's also the, just the plain reality of like having a goal and then, you know, you hit these bumps, right? And, you know, life can come in and stuff like that. And so, you know, those, num you know, those names are gone, right? Uh, so you have to pick, your, pick yourself up. But what can you do is you can imagine kind of being a skateboarder and there's being these um, speed bumps, right? And so you just like each time you hit one like the email list, you, know, you just try and whatever you can do just to try and catch a little bit of air, right? <laughs> and then, you know, and then, and then move your bouncy way forward. The, I think probably the hardest thing I've had to do, and I'm still not quite there yet, so I'll get a little misty-eyed, is uh, I work in uh, a lot of the games I work in 
are really top end, you know, AAA stuff, you know, in mobile and then also in console. I also work in VR, do a lot of really great work with clients. So I have this, you know, sort of AAA aesthetic and what I want to do is very, has a very fine, high fidelity, but we're on an indie budget, right? And uh, I figure, you know, it's, you know, 40, um, I'm in about 40 pitches in, right? So 40 no's in on a, on a course of 90 in, I guess. Oh, congrats on have, 40 no's. I'm 40 no's, right, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And so there's that, that, that little box. I kept it for a little while, but it was too depressing. I've done this before, <laughs> though. <laughs> I, mean, just, I don't know if anyone else has done this, but, you know, you draw the, the, like, the 20 little, you know, the 20 little boxes and, you, and there's a yes at the end. Well, I went through several versions of that, and it just, it just kept getting longer and longer and longer. And so I figured it's probably going to be about 90. And it, may be, it may be less. It may be much less. But that, that was hard to sort of say, well, well, look, why don't I just give myself permission instead of like holding out for this AAA thing that'll take two years? It took a friend of mine 12 years of you know, his career to get in that spot. And, you know, being, you know looking the way I do, you know, it's going to take me longer because I got to work twice as hard to be considered half as good, you know, that, that whole role. Well, why don't I instead uh, focus on just getting something super small out and then just build and just build slowly and build slowly for there, from, from there. Um, but it's hard. It's hard to do. I and mean, as you saw, though, we've done some really nice with Follow It Rabbit, you know, that really is about, you know, only about three or four weeks of art. And it's a style that we can continue um, for the fully enclosed VR. The coding is taking quite, quite a bit longer, but the art, the art production is good. I really would love to have, you know, human beings in there and animation and stuff like that. That's where the, the budget we would need to have would, would have to come from. So I've broken, I've sort of said, like reframed, it's like, okay, well, that's, you know, if I can't get the full like indie thing, there's this huge, that's a huge, I mean, if I can't get the full AAA funding, maybe we get, we go for like a couple of small releases and then that proves us as a developer, right? And then that might make us more attractive to future investment or maybe be something would hit. But at least I would, you know, have uh, at least have the satisfaction of closing that loop of even just on a small project, even though my aspirations are so much bigger. And I'm probably not alone in that. I think a lot of, a lot of indie folks are, um, would love to do, you know, work on larger, you know, kind of larger games. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of how I'm, by breaking it up into smaller pieces, I'm trying, I'm trying that out. And then I'm being really clear of having a lot of fun making them, right? Yeah. So involving people, the people that I bring into the conversation, I make, you know, that the, that the, the social interaction and that we're passionate about the same things, uh, that we're having fun that way. So that is probably the best way to gamify anything is just to add a person. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense, but again, people will play games, even though they hate playing games, just to spend time with their friends. And so the easiest way is just to add, you know, add some, you know, collaborators that have your, you know, your same vibe, your, maybe your, you know, writers groups, right? That's why book authors, you know, will have writers groups because you have that social interaction and then those, that sense of like, we're all in this together, even though writing is, you know, such a solitary activity. Yeah. So, you know, well, I think that's, that's roughly what we're what we're what we're doing. What I'm doing. Uh, still need to work on the pitching part. Uh, I'm going to do more face to face pitches, I guess, because I think that's again that social interaction is a lot better than um, putting stuff up online for you know a contest, you know, for a pitch contest and that kind of thing. Yeah. <clears throat> so hopefully that that should work. I uh, love it. 
Yeah, but I want to point out that when you're talking about other people, you're uh, you're a little bit lighter and kinder. And I I think that's the next challenge too is to bring that same lightness that you share with us to yourself in a way because your research is a major success. I mean, for me, it's really sent me down very positive wormhole. Yeah, seriously. So uh, just because it's not paying the bills, like, hello, like huge success. And I know that you're going to figure out a way to to pay the bills, whether it's, you know, more consulting than you would like to do, or just uh, breaking, you know, releasing one level at a time rather than a full, complete game. But yeah, I just, I love the way, I love the way that you shared with us I noticed you were a little harder on yourself. I just wanted to call you out on it. Thank you for that. Thank <laughs> yeah. you for that. No, it's and it's true. It's definitely true. I do the same exact, yeah. same, same, same exact thing where I really desperately want to start talking to myself the way that I talk to my friends. This, yeah, that, that internal dialogue, I'm sorry to interrupt, but the the, uh, the internal dialogue is also a game, right? The, it is. That leadership, it's the voice in your head is leadership. That voice in your head is your game designer. It's your dungeon master, right? You're, you are trapped in this. Well, hopefully not trapped, but that this is the world that you're in. And so by changing the nature of that language, I've had to do a lot of work. I should be honest about that. I've had to do a lot of work on the um, negative self, self-talk mm-hmm. to you know flip that around so it could be more in line with my goals and be lighter and uh, really, really working towards, yeah, really working towards, you know, being, you know, that this is a process, acknowledging that it's just, you know, it's just one step at a time, very game-like, little, little, like, just um, little tiny, one, one point at a time, one, one little tilt of the, of the iPhone at a time. Uh, it doesn't have to be there, uh, be there all at once. And I think people are attracted to that as well. The lightness and the, you know, I do, you know, I do active mindfulness. I don't like to call it mindfulness so much, but I do, or meditation, but I do have, I just sit with tea or I just, before I go to sleep, I imagine or focus on a certain outcome, a certain piece that I want to have in the world, certain, uh, you know, interaction with other, other, other folks, a certain opportunity to come up of some sorts. And I just focus on, but yeah, having that be a positive event in my life that's already happened, you know, just try to imagine, imagine that, but not in the imagining way. It's more in the certainty way that that is, you know, it isn't, it's what, you, not what you imagine you can do, but what you are, you know, you, uh, it's not who you will be, but who you are or something like that. Trying to lay, lay in different layers like cloisonne or lacquer, just layers of positivity around what we're doing. Because when you accomplish a lot of the easy stuff, and now you're, you're kind of whittling away at like, well, these are, these are the harder challenges, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, hey, I can dress bef- and brush my teeth. I can show up to work reasonably on time, well, and bathe. Awesome. <laughs> Check. Uh, that phase of my life is, you know, has, is, is sort of behind me. And now it's these, you know, big monstery sort of things that uh, what used to be public speaking was a big challenge for me. Not so much anymore. No, you're a great public speaker. Uh, oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I had um, wonderful, wonderful coaches, lots of practice. Lots of practice. I think that's the other thing too about games. Games are are basically if you can suspend the consequences and amplify the results. So closing the loop, right? You know, amplifying the feedback. And feedback probably better is better word than results. But if you suspend the consequences, then you have that lightness and the ability to fail and permission to fail and permission to succeed or permission just to try it out and see what goes on. And then uh, amplifying the feedback, it's like, hey, look, you did a good job. Don't just crush into you like I do I, I like you know I, I can I can like be very analytical and you know I mean the analysis that created this 
model, you know, I can also just apply to, uh, all right, so did, did I, how did that interview go? And did I, was I saying um a lot or, you know. You shouldn't you know, like, think any <laughs> thoughts about how the interview went because it's always wrong. That's a fact. Uh, some of the interviews that I thought were the best were the worst and vice versa. So you should, it's until you hear the interview, all thoughts are canceled. Cause yeah. it's so it's, we're not good at seeing, we're not good at remembering if the interview went well. I promise you. This is the the question I like to end with, which is if I were to pull my phone out and on the other end of it was you in in the past when you're at your most doubtful or your most fearful or your most abusive to yourself or in a situation that was very hard for you, what is the message you would tell yourself to help carry you from where you were to who you become today? Well, I think it's simply the message I love you which is one of the things I don't think we as humans hear enough. And it's certainly one of the things that, one of the phrases that I use to reassure myself when it's, um, when things, you know, look their, look their darkest, you know. You're in the middle of a pitch, your, your game gets, you know, pulled from the app store, you're, <laughs> you're being asked to pitch on a chair that's five inches off the floor, you know, <laughs> and... Uh, but I think it's that, and I think it's that you're creative, and you have a you have a voice, you have a story to tell, and that you're um, that you're really a worthwhile human human being. Because all of those things like get can get challenged when you know you're putting yourself out there, not to go to the grocery store and buy a gallon of milk, but when you're putting yourself out there to. Uh, make a game that nobody understands yet. So I think that's what I would that's what I would say, and that is what I do do tell myself quite a bit that there is something that there's something bigger than yourself as well. And remember all of, through some of the darkest times. Remember all of the people that you've helped and have helped you. How grateful you are for that. Those things I think about too. I second all of that. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Hey, so that's the end of this conversation. But if you don't want the conversation to end, you can follow us on social media on almost every platform. We're at hellohumans.co, except for Twitter, which has an underscore co. Our website is hellohumans.co. We have great stories, videos, and the episodes live there as well. And for more of our guests, for more of any of our guests, I always post their social media, their books, their videos, their art in the show notes, which is another word for the podcast episode description. And it's available wherever you're listening. I promise you just have to click around. If you'd like to help us out more, there's a few ways you can help. Please share this podcast with your friends or people that you think would get value out of it. Writing us a review on iTunes is incredibly helpful for our ratings. And also, of course, this program is not possible without listener community contribution. So our patrons are our financial backbone of this product. That's how we manage to do this ad-free. You can become a patron by going to patreon.com slash howtohuman. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash howtohuman. This is the How to Human podcast, a production of hellohumans.co. Until next time. Have a great day.